Hey, Michelle. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Pretty good. How's it going with you? Welcome to Season 5, 504 Namaste. Namaste, Mike. Breaking Better Call Saul. (laughs) Yeah, slash Breaking Bad for sure. Breaking in the new Wi-Fi. Yeah. Hey, Michelle. Do you know... uh, I was going to throw you a couple curveballs at the beginning of this one. Okay, go uh, for it. First of all, do you think Breaking Bad had a happy ending? Um, No, I don't. I guess we should say spoiler alert for people who haven't seen El Camino. But um, even with El Camino, you'd say no? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I still say no. I don't think it was as much about Jesse as it was about Walt and his family. And I think... Um, you know, Walt, of course, didn't have a happy ending in any way, really. And his family certainly didn't benefit from anything that he had done. Well, that's up for grabs, right? He he may have gotten the money somehow to them. That's never definitively rejected or approved, confirmed. Okay. Yeah, well, maybe... But I don't know that that would erase the, you know, the tragedy, the legacy, the smear on the name. Remember his son and how upset he was? And I don't know. Well, I, I guess just... happy ending's always an objective question, right? Because if Walt, Walt's position was he's going to die anyway, he lived longer than he thought he was going to live. So that's a little happy for him. He did a lot of bad things, so that's not happy. But he did get he did get the resources to his family that he wanted to get for them. And he did have a little bit of a flourish at the end. Like he said, this I like this. You know, I kind of got a taste of something I never thought of before and kind of relished in it. Yeah, but what he relished in was bad. You know, I mean, that's what we even call it, breaking bad. For your, for, that's your objective, though. For him, he may have he may have called it a happy ending. Sure, but I think he acknowledged that it was bad. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not good. necessarily saying I agree. I mean, he broke off his relationship with his son, which is not good. So. Well, and with Skylar too, and you know, I mean, his whole family. So, do you think Better Call Saul will have a happy ending? I hope it does. Not hope, Michelle. Do you think? What's your take? I think they might do it for us this time. I think we're in a season of happy endings, so I'm going to give them every benefit of the doubt and think that we're going to go that way. All right, Michelle. The last uh, Better Call Saul, the show that makes a fry basket cleaning high-stakes drama. What do you think? You didn't give your thought on it. Uh, I asked the questions, Michelle, not the answers. (laughs) Do I think Breaking Bad had a happy ending? Yeah. I think um, objectively that's multiple answer because I think Walt might actually say it. He maybe not happy is not the right word, but he kind of accomplished what he was trying to do. Okay. Skyler, I don't think was happy. Um, Obviously, Hank and Gomi weren't happy. Marie wasn't happy. Jesse wasn't probably very happy. <laughs> well, he's I mean, happy momentarily, but yeah. Um, I guess it's the. I guess it's outside of happy or sad. I guess it's the irreversible ending. It's the only way it could have ended. 
once it got started, yeah, it could have ended differently, but I don't know that that would have been happy either. I don't know how they could have really made it a happy ending with Walt's diagnosis. Well, so don't you think the writers who created that, who are so much also involved in this, have to stick to their guns and say, we can't just make a happy ending for this. This this is the same story, really. Well, no, because I think some people should at least come out of this happy. I mean, it doesn't mean just because everybody we've seen so far hasn't had a happy ending. Doesn't mean some people couldn't come out of it with a happy ending. Saul's not here because of Walter White. I mean, you know. Theatrically, he is, though. I mean, the story. Sure. I still think there can be something happy. It doesn't look happy, but I think it could be happy. And that's my only gripe with this show, because I love it. I love this show. But why are we not seeing anything of Gene? This is episode four, and it's almost halfway over, and we only saw that little, what, eight-minute clip in episode one? That's a lot. I think we've seen a lot of Gene compared to where we are towards the ending. It's a whole other season and a half of this to go. Gene is going to, they can't show the end too much of the ending, which is essentially Gene till the end. Yeah, but they could tease us with it or something. I mean, give us something, throw us a bones, just show him, you know, show, show us him and something because of everything that was going on in episode one. I think they'll probably wait till the end, till the end of this uh, season to do that. But that's just my guess. All right, Michelle, the other thing I thought about the other curveball is what do we know for sure? And a few things that we know, or one major thing that we know, is that Lalo is dead. Lalo is probably dead, because in Breaking Bad, Gus says to Hector before he kills him, he's about to shoot him with the syringe, he says, you're the last Salamanca, and you will die in an old folks' home. So Gus would have known about Lalo. Gus wouldn't say that if he thought Lalo might still be alive. That's interesting. So I think Lalo is dead. And so we... Lalo would have had to have died at some point during the season then, or during the series. Because when it first came on and they're talking to Saul, Saul thought Lalo sent Jesse and Walt to get him, right? We've already talked about that, though. That could be a, an uninformed statement by Saul that he may not have seen Lalo for multiple times, you know, yeah. multiple times. Sure, okay. Extended time. Um, so, Michelle, what do you think of the number three in this episode? Three bells for the pawn shop, three uh, bowling, bowling balls, balls, the mat- namaste with the three at the end, and Jimmy calls Kim with the number three speed dial on his phone. Okay, that is a curveball. I did think about the three bells, and I couldn't really figure out anything with that. Um, I don't know. I, I think know pawn shops it. always have that three, three. I didn't know it was bells until this exploration into it but they have that little symbol that's on every pawn shop that three i guess bells mm-hmm. like that <clears throat> i don't know what it means but but then the three bowling balls the three seems to just have popped up a lot so did you find anything out about it um no i don't know the answer i'm just okay just yeah. wondering 
we seem to go back and forth a lot in this episode and well and in the series you know kim is good kim's bad kim's good kim's bad howard's bad howard's good jimmy's good saul's bad i mean it's just back and forth and back and forth it's like you never know who you're going to get with any of these people and even the the lines of good and bad blur you know what is good what is bad saul talks about in this how he helps the downtrodden and stuff like that, but he doesn't really. And really that's not what Kim's doing when she is doing the pro bono work. It's not really the downtrodden. Mostly it's, uh, she's had a couple that could have been, we didn't hear their whole stories, but mainly it's just these um, ne'er-do-well petty kind of criminals who get in trouble for doing stupid or reckless or or criminal things yeah but one might call that the very definition of downtrodden you know they've gone they've made the wrong turn in life and then now they're just being beaten down by the system yeah but jimmy talks about it like he's like he's saving baby kittens or something or saul does and i mean that's not what it is, you know. I'm I'm a voice to the voiceless, and whatever he says. Well, he's just he's just pontificating about his value to them. But it's kind of interesting to me, though, because I think that that's what Kim wants to do, and that's what she ends up. It looks like getting Jimmy to do, getting Saul to do here, because Mister Acker is not. A criminal. He's a stubborn dude, but he's not, you know, I mean, he has, there's, there's some validity to his legal entanglement that she's now gotten Saul into. So I think Kim really wants to go in that direction. And I don't think Jimmy cares. I think Jimmy is definitely, he likes the more, the, the, the more colorful underbelly of society, maybe. I'm Michelle, three bowling balls. Peter Gould obviously watched Pulp Fiction to get the testing out of different methods of harming a car. So when did that happen, though? Because this is what I didn't understand about this. We started off with Jimmy going in that resale store, and he's picking up heavy things as if to toss them, right? And it was brilliant what he ended up doing he needed heavy stuff and he got three and they're presumably the same weight and by the way i think he got a little bit ripped off on the price of those bowling balls but that's just me um but he hadn't had his lunch with howard yet had he i thought it was after his lunch why would it have been after that when just you just think they just moved the time around then yeah because i kind of think I'm making the analogy or the I'm equating on the same level Gus saying to Mike we compensated Werner's wife to how Howard offering Jimmy a job essentially it's like I'll I was I mean I guess this opens a whole other can of worms like is Howard a good guy or a bad guy is Howard just trying to settle the score so he feels better or does he really feel honestly concerned about Jimmy Right. And if he's just trying to settle the score, he's just trying to compensate things to make the ledger sheet even. He's trying to offer Jimmy a job. Um, you know, kind of people made the same analogy with with uh, Gray Matter, the the Gretchen's husband offering Walter the job. 
Did he really want Walt to work for him, or did he just feel guilty because he kind of screwed him out of the company? Yeah. So I don't know this much about Howard yet. I, I, I'm pretending to believe Howard's just a good guy, and he kind of sorted, righted his ship, sorted out his psychological stuff, kind of overcame it, and now he feels bad of, about what Chuck did to Jimmy, and he wants to just kind of pay him back a little bit. Yeah, that's that. That's my feeling on it. I feel like, I feel like he was. Howard was held back by Chuck too, and so he now that Chuck's gone, he's free, and Howard is going in a good direction after being freed from this net that Chuck had cast on top of everybody. But Jimmy is going in the opposite direction. And, and so I think the answer to your question is that this is after their lunch meeting because Jimmy's just kind of saying, fuck you, man. You can't just offer right. me a job and make everything good. You, you know, you, you were part of the whole Chuck equation that kept me down when I wanted to be a lawyer. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he had to have went in there for that reason. I mean, otherwise it wouldn't make any sense. But it was just funny that they put it at the beginning. And I really should have, like, paid attention to the clothes and stuff to see what he had on if he went you know, I don't know. But, yeah. It could I, have I been after or not right. He could have gone home and changed. I mean, I, I've only watched this episode once, so I didn't really dig too deeply into it. But I think it has to be, for the meaning of it, to carry anything, it has to be after the lunch with Howard. Well, one thing that I do like about this series, and particularly how they're doing it this year, is that they're starting off right where they left off. And I love that. I hate it when they jump. And I know they have to sometimes, but I hate it when they jump. And there's like a whole bunch of assumptions that you have to come to as the as the episode moves forward. But this episode, we start off, it's just hours from where we left off. The broken glass in the parking lot, uh, naked Kim and uh, Jimmy... And they're they're hurting a little bit <laughs> that morning, trying to um, maybe they, you know, drank a little bit too much the night before the headaches, and the empty beer bottles. And uh, Jimmy tells her just to leave the glass out in the parking lot from the thrown beer bottles. And then he mentions that he's having lunch with Howard and he's not looking forward to it. And Kim says that yesterday was bad, but today she's going to fix it. They say goodbye and walk to their cars. But in the next scene, Kim is bre uh, brushing up that broken glass. And she's in fixer mode. She's fixing the broken glass. She's on the phone with Steph and asking her about PowerPoint and all that kind of stuff and saying she's on her way. Yeah, I think more specifically, Jimmy just doesn't say, oh, screw it, just leave it. He says, leave it for the uh, apartment or the property management company. Like, he knows somebody else will clean it up. She doesn't have to clean it up. He right. doesn't just say, leave it. Who cares if there's glass all over it? He, he knows somebody else will take care of the mess they made. Right. And Kim obviously does not feel comfortable with that. She cleans it up in her dressed work clothes. Which is, you know, pretty revealing about her character. Yeah, it is. And it but it's also funny that she's got one of those or has access to one of those big dust pans and this big broom because you know she doesn't use that in her in her apartment. So she's probably that's probably for maintenance or something. But yeah, I agree. And it makes you like her a little bit, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it. admirable that she's right. taking care of her own messes. Right, I mean, right. Kim makes a mess, she cleans it up. Saul makes a mess, and he he cares a little, but he's like, 
somebody else will do it. Somebody else will clean up after me. So then Saul goes into that meeting room with Sticky and Ron, the goofs that were very happy to get the 50% off coupon. So Saul goes in there. He's got this idea about how he's going to get them. They'll probably only end up doing five months. He's going to get them 12 months. These guys have went rampant. It's like a, you know, 12-page sheet of everything bad that they've done. It's kind of funny how he talks to him about it. He says it'll be like a cruise. And, you know, after all, they're charged with public urination. And the guy goes, if you don't go when nature calls, you'll get kidney stoned. I loved Saul's face with that. That was really good. He looked and kind of did this little shaking his head like, you really are an idiot. Well, these two dopes are the classic victims of the 50% deals where... Oh, 50% off, but they don't know what the original price is. So Saul just says a number and they say, okay, but isn't it half of that? And he just says, no, that is the half number. <laughs> it's it's incredibly stupid of them not to know the original price to be happy that they're getting 50% off and then be kind of dopely surprised at the end that, oh, that's the, that's the final price. That's the 50% off price. But well, a shockingly large number of people in this world fall for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yes, absolutely. But that was what was so ridiculous about the whole thing. And it's kind of what Kim said was going to happen just like to encourage people, which I, I think is just, I don't know. I still don't really know where they're going with all that. I don't believe that that really encourages people to commit crime, but what do I know? But they start talking about how, a public defender is free, and free is better than 50% off. And this is where Saul balks at him. He's saying, do you know who I am? And he goes through his whole little spiel and ends up having him begging him to take his case. And Sticky's grandmother was going to foot the bill. And the quicker she does, the, the, the quicker he can get the ball going. Yeah, well, that's the same. That's another problem those types of people have is they don't understand that free can sometimes be very expensive. To have a public defender, technically it's free, but <laughs> you might get four years in jail instead of four months. Well, yeah, and Saul was saying you, 10 years maybe or whatever. So big, big difference. Okay, then we go to the lunch meeting between Saul and Howard, and he's twisting his ring. He's twisting his ring before he walks in, and that there's something about that ring twist with him. It's like he's it's like he's turning on his bad guy or turning off his bad guy or something. I hadn't figured it out yet. Yeah, so this really is his gray matter moment. He could have been comfortable and affluent probably forever working for HHM. He could have been the new M in HHM, H&M, whatever they would have called themselves. But would have been no Cinnabon, would have been no running from the cops and the DEA and hiding money in the <laughs> Declaration of Independence wallpaper and all that bullshit. It, it was his Walter moment that he did the same thing Walt did. He says no to it, kind of out of pride. Yeah, and he didn't even say, he didn't really say no but he was, first of all, he was, like, shocked, and he was, he was, like, choking on his bread. He couldn't believe it. And then he, like, knocks back a drink. I think it, he was warring with himself. Did you get that? It was like, 
I can't believe he's asking me to do this, and I and I I hate him that the, the him that I know and his business and everything that it stands for, and yet now he wants me. I didn't get so much that he was warring with himself, like it was a tough decision, so much as he was considering what to do about it. Like, how can this bastard be asking me to come work for him? Like, what am I going to do about this? Right. And this is probably where he cooks up the idea of he's got to go get some sort of weapon or object to harm Howard's property. I didn't think it was a hard decision for Jimmy. I think it was a decision about what he was going to do about it. Mike, you've got some noise in the background. You're not going to like it. Just started a minute ago. I know. It's rain. Oh, is it raining? Yeah, I'm in the Sprinter Van studio, Michelle. <laughs> West Coast Project is mobile, and I'm in a rainstorm. <laughs> okay. I didn't know. Okay, I couldn't tell what that was. All right. But this is where Saul... Okay, I I kind of got... It's actually very soothing when you're in here. If you're trying to sleep, in, in, it's a camping sprinter van. So if you're sleeping, it's like such a great sound. Most of those sleep apps have a, like a rain sure. version. That's exactly I, what it sounds like. I bet it is. I mean, I could hear it. I, I, it kind of got loud, then it went got a little softer. So I, I wasn't sure what that was. It sounded like a paper flapping or something. But... I, I did get, not that he was trying to decide what to do, but I guess just the shock of it. You know, am I upset? Am I happy? Is this like, um, you know, uplifting to me? Is this meant to be a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Just all those warring things. I just, I wouldn't know why else he would have like literally almost choked on his food. He was so shocked by it. But this is where he goes into, he's the defender of the downtrodden, the last line of defense for the little guy. He's a life raft. He's a friend to the friendless, blah, blah, blah. And this is where Howard says they did him wrong and they took his legacy away from him and they should have hired him. And, and this is where Howard says he should have had some backbone. So that's kind of what makes me believe Howard. Yeah, I guess I do believe Howard in this. So, Michelle, he calls him Charlie Hustle. Do you remember what Charlie Hustle is from our last I, podcast? Um, I don't. Tell oh, me. Oh, Michelle, you don't even, don't, you don't learn from don't our listen. podcast. No, I don't listen. Charlie Hustle was a great baseball player, Pete Rose. He used to call him Charlie Hustle because he was under-athletic, but he made up for it with his hustle. He was, like, short and stubby and not very fast, but he would run all over the place and bowl people over and... Um, just hustled, hustled, made up his, for his shortcomings by trying hard. Well, that's pretty cool. That's kind of a compliment, correct? It's a total compliment. To Jimmy? To anybody. If somebody calls you Charlie Hustle, it's a compliment. Well, and he, he's also thought about this Christy, uh, Esposito, the scholarship girl, and how Saul was the only one in the room that wanted to lift her up, and how Saul's always the one who'll tell him the truth about everything, and that he needs that, and he wants that. And there is really something to be said for that. I mean, because who really wants a bunch of yes men around him anyway? Yeah, I guess. I mean, he's... I don't think... I don't think... I know you 
differ on me on than me on this, but I don't think Saul is pondering like, hmm, should I be angry or not? About I think he's I think he's angry about this because yeah. he even smart acidly says, well, you might want to check with Cliff Main about this before you try to hire me mm-hmm. because he what did he do break his guitar or something? <laughs> he did something obviously to get out of a real good job with Clifford Main's law firm and blew that on purpose. And he says this to Howard now, like, if you think I'm so great, you better check with your buddy Cliff Maine to see how shitty I really am. He kind of makes fun of the offer. Maybe, or maybe he's saying, why would you want somebody like me? You see what a screw-up I am in everything I do. I don't know. I'm, I'm just not completely convinced that he is that pissed off. Right there. I think as he thinks on it, obviously, he gets mad. And you could be right. That's just not exactly what I got from it. But as they're leaving, Howard initiates a hug. And then we see Howard's license plate that says Namaste, which is the title of this episode. Yeah, so that's also somewhat telling is that Jimmy's license plate and his vanity plate when he gets one is lawyer up. Like bold right. and cocky, and Howard's is like I found peace. Right. Namaste is not like a, you know, balls to the wall lawyer statement. It's kind of a hi, everybody, have a great day, and take yeah. a deep breath and appreciate life and everything it's giving you. And Jimmy's like lawyer up, you know, I'm Saul Goodman. <laughs> I don't okay. know. I, I, it was a striking, distinguishing difference. That the Namaste license plate immediately make, made me think of Lawyer Up. Yeah, well, yeah, it's kind of like what I was saying, how Howard has has ascended after the choking of Chuck. but And, he, and he's reaching down, he's trying to pull Saul up with him, but we know how that goes. And then next we go to the Mesa Verde meeting with Kim... And she's trying to get them to move the call center to that different lot. And she tells them it's a lot that no longer floods. And basically, Mr. Acker isn't there. And that's not going to look good on them. And, um, you know, they own the land anyway. They own it all. And it's only going to go up in value. But Kevin and Paige blow her off pretty quickly. I don't, and, think, that, I don't think they own the land that, they want, that Kim wanted to move Acker to. Yeah, but I think so. I don't think so. Why? Because Kevin says you want me to avoid you want me to abandon a piece of property we already own and put Acker on this other thing that implies that they don't own it yet that he would have to buy more property not to put Acker there but to put the call center there. So there was no reason for him to say you want us to abandon a piece of property we already own if they already owned all of it. Okay. You might be right. Something that they said, and I can't remember the wording, but I thought that as they were deciding where to put it, part of the property that they owned was flood, had a, was in a flood zone, but they had shored that up now. And so they could now do it somewhere else. But you, you, you might be right. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think Kim's, like I that. think the whole, th- I think Kim makes a bit of a mistake here is she doesn't really have a shot in this because Kevin's decision is like, this is stupid, Kim. <laughs> you you want us to, we already own this. It's already got 
probably approval from coding or whatever they need to do to build something there. She yeah, doesn't it has. really she doesn't really say why. She doesn't say, "Hey, look, I got this old guy. I went and talked to him a couple times. I know I probably shouldn't have, but I really like this guy. It would be a huge favor to me. It would make me have a little bit more peace of mind. It's not that much more expensive." You know, if she was just honest, I think she would have had a better chance, but she she tries to portray it like well they shored up this other thing so it doesn't flood and it's just, kevin's like what this doesn't make any sense and we got to buy another well yeah but that's why i think that they don't have to buy it because she says we've already gotten the we wouldn't have to change the building or whatever we just have to get whatever to move it over there and she said it would only set them back a couple of weeks and you're not gonna be able to buy something and start building on it in a couple of weeks but Still, it doesn't make sense for him to say, oh, okay, let's just do that. <laughs> I mean, time, well, if it's not the fact that they have to buy the land, the time is money. Right, it is. But it's like she was saying, they have just put in like 10 miles of brand new highway or paved it or something right there. And she thinks in the long run, that would be the best place to have it. Well, they could now, put in 10 miles of new highway to a piece of land that they don't own. It doesn't mean that they own it, that they put in property. No, Mike, I mean, they, other... didn't, they didn't do it. The public utilities, did, that's, that's not what I mean. I just mean to say she was talking about that, that the road's better over there, and that's why they should put it there, that she thought it would be better in the long run to have it there. And, but... and I'm just saying it's stupid. It's a stupid reason. The road's better. It won't flood. I mean, who cares? It's We've already got this. This is we got bigger fish to fry, Kim. Why, are you even care, why do you even care about this? You know, do you she, think it would be her place, though, to tell them her rationale for it? I just don't want to no, do that. She to tries the to she tries to be secretive about it and give them what she thinks are logical reasons that didn't add up to enough of a decision making weight for Kevin to consider it. And Paige is even looking at her like, what, what, what are you doing? What are you talking about? This is this is wasting five minutes of our time even talking about this. Yeah. Kevin but, I mean, likes Kevin got... likes Kim. I think if Kim would have appealed to him a little bit more, he might have said, "Hmm. I don't see the financial merit in this, but be, if you think it'll be something that'll s satisfy something in you, make you feel better or whatever, whatever the bo bonus for Kim is, I think he might have put more weight into it." Well, I mean, Kevin, you know, as I'm sure you know, would have to answer to stockholders and stuff like that. And, I mean, him having a friendship or an admiration or a working relationship or whatever you'd call he has with Kim would not – I You're don't right. think she should do but, that. But her reasons, that would definitely are be her reasons for doing it for financial reasons are very feeble. It's a I poor agree. argument. But it's just like she says. She says, well, that's that. I just had to mention it. And there's an implied here, as we know, before I handle it differently. So probably that's just for her own uh, maybe peace of mind before she gets Jimmy involved in it. And then we go to the scene where Mike has the confrontation with Stacy over watching uh, Kaylee. And tra uh, Stacy tries to be sweet to him, but she can tell something's going on with him. And she, uh, he, he says that he scared Kaylee and he lost his temper and he just wants to talk to her. And he just really won't drop it. 
and she finally puts her foot down and he leaves very sullenly. Mike's not happy. Yeah. Mike's a, Mike's a bad anger. Like you hear of a bad drunk. <laughs> Mike's a bad mm-hmm. angry guy. He's like very unpredictable when he's angry. He, he it's a, it's shocking about Mike who's so controlled otherwise that he lets his anger kind of take over. Yeah, and it's surprising. First of all, it was very surprising to see how he acted with Kaylee. Very su- weren't you surprised to see that? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's not within his character. And then also now the way he even was with Stacy, just turning around and walking off like that. She's right about this. And it's like he doesn't care. And you're talking about handling that little girl in the best possible way. And her mom's right on on this. Well, her mom's and uninformed. Loves- Just like Kevin's uninformed as to why this is so important to Kim. Kim's childhood, being having to move in the middle of the night and all this. And Acker kind of appealed to her that way. That Stacy doesn't know how deeply affected Mike is by Maddie. She may understand a little bit more about Maddie because she was married to Maddie. But she doesn't understand about... Mike's being involved in getting innocent people killed, you know, Werner, you know, Werner's blood is on his hands and the sure. the bystander who found the Salamanca driver and freed him and then got shot in the face because he was a good citizen. He's That's Mike's fault, essentially. So Mike gets these people offed <laughs> unintentionally and he's carrying all this weight around with him. And, you know, he's Stacy doesn't know about all this. But would it matter? I think she might give it a little... I mean, it's her daughter. She's always going to have her as her utmost consideration, I'm sure. But she doesn't... My point is she doesn't understand the weight Mike's carrying around. No, and I I feel like she understands he's carrying a lot of weight. And she doesn't know what. But as an adult, Mike has to have enough maturity to understand that when he is going through something like this and he's not himself, that he's going to have to stay away or, you know, like, like Stacy said, come over for dinner or something where there's another adult there because you're right. He's not good. He's an angry, angry person and he doesn't handle himself well. Well, Michelle, it's clear which one of us is the mother. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, and then we go to the scene where Kim shows up in the courtroom where Saul has pulled his hijinks. What would you think about that? What do you think about what he did? It's interesting. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how impressed Kim is versus how t- mortified she is because she's a little she has a little bit of a smiley time discussion with him afterwards. She smirks a little bit while he's doing it, but she doesn't like it. Well, I mean, I I personally, I think, I don't know if it's okay to do. I don't know anything about law, but it should be. I thought it was perfectly fine. They're trying to take away somebody's liberty, trying to take away somebody's freedom. And that guy was so sure and so smug, and it was him, and he pointed not once, not twice, but three times at this guy, I think. And it was him. I'd know him. The lights were up. I know him. I could pick him out of a, you know, crowded room, him, and he was wrong. 
Yeah, but it's contempt of a lot of it's contempt of the whole court setting, contempt of the judge, contempt of court to have a a false person sitting in the defendant's, you know, that may they may not actually call it a defendant's box, but usually a defendant sits next to to their lawyer. So it's mm-hmm. misrepresenting the identity of that person to not just prove a point, but to, I mean, there's a bailiff there. The bailiffs are not there for fun. They're there in case something happens. They're ready to, you know, keep peace. I don't think you can do this. I don't think it was legal. I think it was a breach of the, of at least the courtroom etiquette, if at the very least, not if not breaking a law. I mean, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right on that it's, you know, certainly not, that it's certainly frowned upon. But I thought it was brilliantly done. Well, I it's very clever. It. It's regardless of how legal or illegal, it's super clever. And it totally proves a point that. And it's smart. Well, it's, it's not smart even unless it breaches the court's rules so much that the judge just says, you're, you know, your case is, you're, you're not involved in this case anymore because you, you know, you broke the rules of the decorum of the courtroom. I guess. But I mean, there's a jury and everything in there and, it, and it's a mistrial. It goes to a mistrial. So Jimmy comes back out and he talks to Kim, who's still sitting there and she's alone. Everybody's left. And she's waiting for him, and she wants his help with something. And we know what that's going to be. And then we go to this whole other part of this series, and it just kind of took me by surprise after we left them. It's almost like I forget when I'm watching Saul and Kim and Mesa Verde and all that. And then we go to the whole other side, like the dark side of this series. We go to Los Pollos Hermanos and Gus is in the, he's in a mood. He's in a mood and everyone's leaving except Lyle and Gus has him clean the fryer just ridiculously. What was that all about? What was the cleaning for? Some in the Reddit world think that Gus is creating an alibi for himself that he, if he's there all night with Lyle, Lyle in court or whatever, whatever to law enforcement would say, oh no, Gus was here with me all night. I was with, but I don't think that's the case. And a lot of people think that's why it was there because Gus making an alibi. Oh, that makes sense. But it doesn't really make sense because Gus doesn't really need an alibi. Nobody knows who he is at this point, and nobody knows who he is for a long time into the future from this point. And there's nothing linking him to any of those things that Hank and Gomi are watching with those dead drops. Okay, but what about if it's an alibi the other way? An alibi to Lalo. So Lalo won't think Gus is had left and done something, had had heard and left and done something to save his guy. Maybe. I mean, if Lalo gets his hands on Lyle and drills him and, you know, I guess. But how does the alibi get to Lalo other than that? Lalo's a, Lalo's a very loose cannon. Lalo's the kind of guy who just would ask Lyle, get an answer and then kill him. <laughs> like the Like the <laughs> Western Union kid. And whether he believes him or not, I mean... But maybe a security camera or something. 
Maybe there's a security camera there, and he can see that, you know, Gus was there with the kid. Maybe. We see a lot of psychological salving here, like chucking bottles off of a third floor to watch them crash to feel better. And I think this is Gus's way of feeling better. He just gets, he's just like controls. It's just like he had no control over the dead drop. And he was already mad that the, he's, you know, he's paying this huge price. He's going to lose this money to Salamanca as, as just like a chess move. He's probably pretty pissed off. Yeah, he obviously did not like the situation he was put in. But I don't like to think about Gus being so out of control of his emotions that he would put Lyle through this torture. Yeah, and but he, come on, Michelle. He didn't let Lyle go until after... What he was going to kill Holly. He was going to... I will kill your your multiple sclerosis son. I will kill your baby daughter. <laughs> Come on, man. You know Gus will do anything he needs to to get take care of business. Okay. TBD, man. Well, we fl- we flash back and oh, forth. Oh wait, what is between... it? TBD. TCB. <laughs> <laughs> TBD. <laughs> it went over my head, so there we go. I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah. We flash back and forth between Gus and the restaurant and Hank and Gomez at the culvert, waiting for the last of the three drops. So they've evidently gotten the other two. And they have it set up where the guy gets away, but they get the money, and it's over $700,000. And Gomez is happy-ish, but Hank is not. He's not happy, even though he pretends like he is to his crew, but he's not. Yeah. They call and tell Gus, who snaps the throwaway phone and finally lets Lyle go home. So there's a Reddit um, theory discussion about this too michelle i like to read reddit between the show and our podcast just to see what people are talking about and and basically it's that hank appears when we first meet him in breaking bad he's kind of the 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 dumb athlete bullet-headed cop who's just kind of a bore and he's like rude to everybody but then he gets a deeper development and we realize he's actually a pretty damn smart cop it's kind yeah. of rude, and he's kind of a macho alpha dude, but he's actually a very, very good cop. And so this this doesn't line up with Hank being a very, very good cop because they essentially blow their cover by catching this guy and revealing themselves as the DEA when they could have trailed and tracked this out a little bit longer and found bigger fish, you know, caught upstream. They even call it upstream somewhere in here, right? Mm-hmm. We're going upstream. Mm-hmm. But he only wants to go one level up. Just think if they would have just followed that guy or followed the money or, fo- you know, just let just watch this drop for 30 days instead of one night. They would have found a lot more info. So I don't know if I'm ready to call Hank and Gummy kind of stupid for doing this, but it, on the surface, it seems kind of out of their character. Like they kind of blew it a little bit. They blew, they had a great line of, potential information and they they showed their cards way too soon maybe they develop over time because hank is horrible and i never disliked hank this much in well you just weren't paying attention maybe not because he was exactly he was a bore he was exactly yeah. the fraternity alpha dude in Breaking Bad as he was in the beginning of this, or as he okay. is now. Yeah. 
I mean, he would remember, have to be. Remember I guess. when the, when Tor, when um, Tortuga's head was on the turtle? What was that guy's name? Tortuga. Um, Maybe. Um, yeah, his head was on the turtle. They wrote DEA and they blew up. Hank was down in, in El Paso, and Hank was like, "Hey, hey, hey mm-hmm. we're gonna look, you guys. You missed a guy's head on a turtle. Is that, is that gonna get you a little upset?" And then it blows up. So he was like the the fake macho guy then, even into Breaking Bad. He's kind of been that way, and he probably still is always that way. He's just, you know, he get we get to see more of him in Breaking Bad, and it uncovers that he's this smart cop. Yeah, I guess they didn't really leave us so much with that. You know, we, he was more serious, it seemed like. I don't know. I don't know. I just, the nuances of it, maybe. But I, yes. I mean, I guess if the, I have If to the learn. cartel was smart, they're going to change, after this night of what happens in this episode, they're going to change their whole pl- operation. But now... And Hank's okay. This is it. We got so we got five hundred, seven hundred thousand, whatever, and we caught one guy. Um, but they're—that's the end of it. There's no upstream, really. They're not going to get upstream. But they didn't catch him. They chased him. But yeah. they didn't catch him. Yeah, they got they got the well, but they tried to. Right. So that's the that's all that matters. That the cartel's going right. to say, "Oh, they're pretty close. We got to change our plan." Sure. I just think if they didn't reveal that they knew this was all going on and just watched it for a while, that would have been there could have potentially been a much larger payoff. Definitely. Although, although they almost had to get the money because that was kind of what Crazy Eight gave them, right? Yeah, For that's his... the price Gus is willing to pay, although grumpily, to keep the chess game him one right. move ahead. That Lalo thinks, "Oh, I'm 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 one ahead of Gus." Well, then Sh- Saul shows up at Mister Acker's house, shoves his foot in the door, gives him a dirty picture to get his attention, and t- tells him he hates Mesa Verde and will do whatever it takes to stick it to him. And then we see Jimmy call Kim and tell her that he has a new client. Put some beer on ice. We'll celebrate. Do you think, do you think Gus had another reason? Do you think he had an alibi? Is that your, is that what you're settling on? Wanted to create an alibi? There has to be something. Gus doesn't do stuff for no reason. He's too controlled. So yeah. I don't know. I, I think like there's something. I like that they make him human with weakness. Like Kim, you don't really picture Kim. Like Kim wouldn't throw beer bottles off of a balcony onto the street, but she's human. And the, and this is a, it, this is actually what undoes Gus in the long run. His need to like torture Hector. That if he didn't have that need, and he was this cold blooded assassin, this cold blooded criminal. He would still be alive. Yeah, but he had a beef with Hector. And he had a beef with Walt. And he's got no beef with Lyle. It's and not that he has a beef with Lyle. Feel- he's just mad that somebody's stealing a half a million bucks out of his pocket. Out of his criminal pocket. I hear you. And it's not even just out of his. I mean, this is going to affect his, you know... His position with Eladio is because he's a moneymaker. That's what Lalo's trying to 
destroy at this point. Right, but so I get the Im- I get the opi- I'm under the impre- impression that this is Gus's like personal loss because he's gonna, just going to pull it out. He's going to make it. He's going to make it good so that he doesn't look bad to the cartels. He's going to make it look like I'm still doing my job. This is just a personal hit to him. I think it's a it's a loss to him, and he's mad about it. I like that they make him like he's not Teflon. He's not stainless steel where he's like immune to everything and emotionless he can get angry he can get pissed off i guess it fills out a character to me for gus but i mean i guess we'll see you know we'll see it's how exactly it his character though that's how he got and that's the, was with the undoing of him his need to get even with hector Yes, he debt debt when but look, Hector had his his husband, his boyfriend killed. That's a big deal. Lyle is a faithful employee. I don't know. I just think there's probably something else to it. I don't know what. But I think there's something else. All right, to Michelle, it. tomorrow you leave a million half a million dollars on a, a countertop <laughs> and I'll steal it and you see if you get mad. <laughs> Well, if I did get mad, I wouldn't go, you know, kick my dog, Jack, so. You'd make uh, somebody clean your grill? I just, I, I can't make, I can't imagine, but who knows. Okay, so did you have anything about the Jimmy's new client in Tucumcari? The fact that he's got... Mr. Acker is his client now. Do you think Kim cooked that up or Jimmy cooked it up? What part of it? The, the idea. Story? The idea to make Jimmy represent Acker. That was Kim. That's what she was, went to the his courtroom to talk to him about. That's what she needed help with. Why she set through that thing. Okay. Hundred percent. So Jimmy drives off, but instead of going home, he heads to Howard's house to play a special game of bowling. Howard comes out after his car alarm goes off and looks perplexed and then shocked. So. Yeah, I mean. That's a weird thing to do, right? It's pretty weird. It is. You can get away with that now. It's pretty easily. Everybody has cameras. It's pretty easily overcome by Howard, too. Like, it's just an insurance claim. Not like... You might feel, like, um, violated somehow. Like, oh, in the middle of the night, somebody threw a bowling ball through my Jaguar. (laughs) But other than that, who cares? Howard's rich. Just buy another Jaguar. Just have his insurance pay for it. How does it really harm Howard? Yeah, it really doesn't. I mean, it could unsettle him, but like you said, I think that's about the worst it could do. Yeah. I don't know, and and it's criminal. I mean, this is something that could get Jim get Jimmy Saul disbarred. Did Howard even Did that. Howard even look that upset to you? Well, he came outside and he looked confused, and then he just looked shocked because you would first of all, he's not even going to know it's bowling ball. I mean, what would be your first inclination? A tree limb fell through my car, um, a meteor over a bowling ball. I would think a meteor, you know, I mean, I don't think he even knew what was going on at that point. 
Yeah, I I don't know. I think it's kind of in the theme of this whole episode is the psychological game playing. That's why I think Gus was psychologically game playing with Lyle. He's like he make forcing Lyle to do something. Controlling Lyle was giving him some sort of relief from the psychology that he was, you know, psychology. He was having a rough time accepting this part of the plot that he has to go through with Lalo. Now Howard, Howard and Jimmy go through it, and then in the next scene, Mike goes through it. And I think it's all the same theme. It's the psychology, how people deal with these psycho- psychological traumas that they have. Yeah, I mean, you could be right. I'm just picturing it being something more to the point than that with Lyle, but we'll find out. So what's the point of Mike? Let's see what you think about Mike. (laughs) Yeah, Mike. Well, that's actually what I was going to ask you. You know, Mike's walking home again past the same thug guys that he had the confrontation with in our last episode. They come out this time, but this time they all jump on Mike. And he gets a knife in the gut. Now yep. he ends why, up at Wands Hopkins in somewhere in Mexico. Wands Hopkins. <clears throat> why would he do that? I understood it before, just his like, you know, desire to let off some steam. I think it's his psychological, his way of compensating for these innocents that he's put into the line of trouble. Yeah. Maddie, the good Samaritan dude, the, you know, all this, all these people he's kind of got lined up. He didn't intend to get them harmed, but they got harmed and he doesn't know how to deal with it. So he does what he, you know, I deserve some sort of punishment. I go get my ass kicked again. He knows how to do it. He's done it before. Don't you think, though, with Werner, that what that the the fact that he was the one who actually took him out? Don't you think, at least in Mike's mind, that that was an act of kindness? No. 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 Okay. Mike tries to convince Gus not to do it. Mike doesn't want absolutely. this to happen to Werner. No, absolutely not. That's my point. But he didn't want some thug to come out there. Well, I think that's way beyond. beyond. I don't think Why that's the point. Why would he volunteer point. to do it? Well, because... maybe that part is a little bit of an act of kindness that it's quick and as painless. But this is not. That's not the point at all. The point is that he's he's he trusted Werner too much, and Werner got himself into over water over his head, and essentially Mike is responsible for Werner's situation. How do you, how do you figure that? I don't because see that. He gave I mean, him the, he gave him killing. the, go, he gave him the go ahead with Gus. He put, he hired him for that job and he was not qualified. Werner did not have the mental makeup to be a criminal like to that degree. Okay. Mike did not hire him. Gus walked out and hired him. Yeah, Mike, Mike interviewed, Mike was the first gatekeeper in the interview process. I don't blame Mike at all for anything other than the obvious. So why does Mike walk through the neighborhood and get beat up and stabbed? Because I think he still feels bad over the whole thing. Exactly what we just said. But I don't think Mike 
other than the actual murder of Werner, which of course was horrible, but I think even that, Mike was in a position, he couldn't stop that. And he did everything he could to have every conversation he could with Werner to get him to hear him that this had to stop. I mean, he tried so hard. He didn't do everything he could, Michelle. He could have said, he could have talked to Werner like he did. He's listening on his phone calls with his wife. He could have said, hmm, this guy's about to go off the deep end. Werner, sorry, dude, but you're locked in your trailer until this job's over. He could have he could have literally physically cap- held him captive somewhere until they're, they were finished. Or th- well, I don't think that's Mike's fault that he didn't see that. Yeah, well, I do. Okay, well, I don't. I mean, he didn't see it, and the guys that were watching on the cameras that he had in there, I mean, what's the point of locking him in his trailer when they've got people that watch him? I mean, he wouldn't run the clock. So he wouldn't, uh, well, he defeated Mike's security methods. Yeah, but, I mean, if he's locked in a trailer, he could have potentially defeated well, him. Why, you lock him, like, in a metal cage? Yeah. I don't know. That's what Mike's feeling bad about. Werner got through his system... He escaped his system to the and Werner didn't escape and run and hide. He was like in a hotel drinking a Mai Tai. Werner didn't understand what he was in and he got through Mike's security and then he had to be killed. Yes, but I do not blame Mike for that. I blame Werner for that. I blame Mike for actually killing him, obviously, but. At the same time, I think he even did that out of a kind of a kindness. So what was the whole point not... of Werner needing to get away to his wife? Because Werner just didn't didn't take the the uh, what's the word? He didn't take the the situation as seriously as he should have. But why did they make that a part of the Better Call Saul story? Because it was something that ended up changing my look. It's just like like Saul got into that with Lalo. I don't think that was his fault. I think Saul had no choice at all. I know you and I feel differently about this. I don't think he had any choice at all. Once he got into that um, inadvertent thing with uh, Tuco, that was the end of it for Saul. Sometimes you can stumble onto something and you're just in it, kind of like Nacho said to him. And I think the same things happened with Mike here. He did not want to be. He's he's a little um, reckless, but he did not want to be in the position that he was in with Werner. And I think he considered, I mean, he had drinks with the guy. I think he considered him a friend. I don't think he wanted to hurt him. I think he would have rather taken the bullet himself. Well, he than, didn't want to hurt him. I think, okay, we, we we're beating this to death. I think, I think um, Maddie, Werner, and the good Samaritan who got killed helping the Sal- Salamanca truck driver are the three building blocks that help us understand Mike and this walk through the park with the thugs is Mike dealing with this this guilt he feels over those three and probably other events but he's he's in a bad he's in a low point right now in his life and he feels guilty or 
whatever. He feels the need to be punished or feel pain for these things. And I think that's the reason for those other three events. I agree with you. But Mike wakes up. He's in, what'd you call it? Wands Hopkins. One. One's Hopkins. I think it's the I think it's the outside. doctor that helps Gus and Mike when they go to the Donaladio party and Gus drinks the poison. Is it? I Is think he so. Down there? Unless Gus okay. has another, it's clearly Mexico. It looks like they're supposed to. It looks like it's right. supposed to make us think it's Mexico. It's like Adobe huts and stuff. And I right. think, unless Gus has another doctor in Mexico, <laughs> that this is his dude, right? This is the guy that he had all their blood and everything in a refrigerator and a tent in the desert. I think this right. is probably Gus's right. dude in the desert that takes care of his um, physical, you know, injuries. Yeah, I'm guessing Gus had something to do with it, but I don't know. But that was the end. That was the end of episode four. Namaste. Yeah, even in the next on, so we can talk about the next ons, but um so if you want to just bail now you can save your spoilers for the next ons. But I think in the um Donald Audio Salud episode, they walk back from wherever their treatment is. Gus does anyway. He leaves Mike in the hospital and he walks back from Mexico. Six miles or four miles or something. And okay. and isn't that what we see in one of the next ons? We do see Mike walking, yeah, across a, like a field or something. Mm-hmm. We see Saul drinking coffee in the desert, looks to be outside Mr. Ackert's house in Tucumcari. And then we see Mike is asking someone, what am I doing here, as he's sitting on this huge, like, fallen tree. Then we see Howard on the telephone asking Jimmy his thoughts on his job offer, which I can't wait to hear. And then Saul's talking to the police saying he's Ackert's attorney and he's just doing his due diligence. Evidently, like the sheriff's come out to make Mr. Acker leave or something. And then Mike is on the phone saying, so you're back to being a lawyer. So we have to assume he's talking to Saul, right? I guess, yeah. Someone's twisting what looks like these little wires together. I don't know what that was about. Kevin's saying to Kim that he knows a scam when he sees one. So I don't know if he's on her or what, but that could be ugly. Jimmy lays down beside Kim in bed, and then there's a voiceover where he's saying, it's nasty, it's personal, it's dangerous. And then we see something that looks like somebody messing with like a homemade explosive or something like that. And then someone's face, barely recognizable, is viewed from the bottom of that oil fryer again. But there's oil or, you know, what's presumed to be oil bubbling in at this time. Then Kim is saying, you know, I worked my ass off to get here. You know that. Then Kim and Jimmy are standing inside the nail salon at night looking out and then there's an old lg flip phone with no battery left it's got like the battery with a line through it and then we see saul spraying something maybe like spray painting but i can't tell and then the very end yeah we see mike walking across a large field yeah so this 
I mean, if Kevin's any type of a detective at all, he's going to put two and two together. Like, wait a minute, Kim, you wanted us to move the call center, and now your boyfriend, she, because they know that Saul's her boyfriend, right? Didn't they? Or at least Schweikert does, and Schweikert knows Kevin. Because remember when Jimmy made the big scene, like, well, can't spouses come on the ski trip or something? He was there with Schweikert oh, yeah. and Kim. So Jimmy and Kim are going to be known to be a couple, either obviously or through some minor detective work. So Kevin's going to say, wait a minute, you want us to move the call center? Now your boyfriend is his lawyer? So this this could be the beginning of the undoing of Kim that we've all been kind of wondering. I guess we got to just wait a week and we can find out, but it's kind of interesting to play with. Yeah, I agree. All right, Michelle, so the next one is Dedicado a Max, dedicated to Max. And then we- okay. and then 506 after that is Wexler v. Goodman. So that could be the court case. Um, maybe, maybe, I don't know, the court case of Ellis Acker, Ellis versus, uh, I don't well, know. Or why would it be Wexler? I don't know, but that's definitely the ling- lingo of a courtroom. And it looks like sure. this Jimmy representing Acker is a courtroom it's it's geared and steered towards being a courtroom resolution. I don't know. It's fun to look at these titles and try to figure out what they are. Yeah, J- JMM is like, James McGill. What's what's um, Jimmy's middle name? Um, it's it's an M. Remember, because that's what was on his briefcase. So that's five oh seven. Yeah, so it's fun. It's fun to try to look at these titles. Since ever since that season two when the planes crashed and they put the titles of the planes crashing into a four oh seven down over ABQ or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's fun to try to figure out what's going to happen. Well, yeah, because we, you know, it's not really like a spoiler because we don't know. We're just guessing. It's going to be interesting to see. I'm really interested in the background of Gus, and a lot of people aren't. They just, like, want to see. They want to get to where Breaking Bad intersects with Saul here. I really want to see Max and, and Gus's background. And if this is dedicated to Max next time, 505, I want, I'm really kind of looking forward to seeing if we learn about Max and Gus and Gus and Chile and how they got together and all that. Yeah, it would be really good to hear that backstory because we were kind of curious about that even way back when, right? But I hope they actually show us something, you know, in place of it just being some kind of brutality and then dedicated to Max. Well, yeah, because when when Gus and Max were pitching to Eladio about the meth over the Mm -hmm. cocaine— Mm-hmm. Gus seemed like a sweet dude. He's like, oh, no, I, our chicken recipe, yeah, we do that. But here's a good, great idea. He seemed like a nice guy almost. He seems mm-hmm. way different. He seemed way different than he seems now. Like like maybe the maybe the metamorphosis or the pressures of the heat and pressure of this life that he's led has formed him into this evil Gus character. Or maybe just the killing of Max. Yeah, well, that's certainly part of it, the the pressure of what's, you know, his previous life. But also it's implied that something really, he was really kind of an important dude back in Chile, and we know nothing at all about that. 
And um, since this is in Spanish and it's Max, it's implying the past and something in Spanish in the past. So I'm kind of yeah. hoping it's about Chile and Gus and his earlier life. But we'll find out, well, Michelle. Be interesting. 505 yes, in one week, dedicado a Max. There we go. All right, Michelle, you have any other final thoughts on Namaste? I think I'm thought out. But how do people reach you on the internet? We haven't done this for a while, but how do people? Oh, I know we you? haven't. Yeah, um, at Michelle from TN on Twitter. I'd love to hear anybody's thoughts. Tell me I'm crazy, or tell me I'm right, or tell me what you think. And I'm at Scathing Tweets. So until 5:05, we'll see you next time. We'll see you then, Mike.